Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And I'm actually in a hotel room tonight. I've been on the road for the past few days, which is why you haven't heard from me. I interviewed, of course, Darren Evans on, I guess, Tuesday about the big cosmic invocation UFO summoning. And then right after that, hit the road. And Lauren and I have been roving around Utah and Arizona and Nevada doing UFO research. And uh, some stuff I'll be telling you about in the near future. I'm preparing some things for a television production I'm going to be a part of. But there's a lot happening here out in the desert. And half the time I don't have any kind of service. No cell signal, certainly no Wi-Fi or anything like that. And so... That's one of the reasons I kind of vanished for a while, but uh, good things have been happening. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I not too long ago shot a new episode of Beyond Belief with George Norrie. That's his show on Gaia TV. That was released. I haven't even seen it myself yet, but I've been getting lots of wonderful feedback from people about that. Me talking about my phantasmagoria of phenomena. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, I've just been sort of popping in and out of communication and civilization. I should be back uh, to my base here in a few days. And uh, it's it's been an interesting experience, all right. Uh, it's actually been cold and windy and often rainy out here in these desert areas. And it's uh, it's pretty spooky when you're driving around out here, especially at night in some of these places, and you don't have... A cell phone signal and you can go sometimes for you know 30 40 miles without seeing a gas station or any sign of civilization so if you break down on the side of the road and you can't call anybody well you're kind of at the mercy of the elements and whatever weirdo might happen to stop next and so that is why not surprisingly I carry a gun when I go out into these places because if you can't call 911 and uh, it's not like a cop is going to jump out from behind a cactus when you need him, uh, you have to be your own cop. And so you can imagine I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment and uh, I think, you know, there are situations when you need to be able to protect yourself. Uh, There are some really... uh, stupid gun laws in some of these states I'll, I'll give you an example of that in a minute but i i really feel like that uh you know if, if you're out here in the desert you don't know what situation you're going to end up in okay there's there's no telling there is a lot of stuff out here i mean like i say if you get into a situation where you are broken down well you have to be able to make sure that you feel protected that you're not going to be a victim sometimes you're out there in the middle of nowhere it's two o'clock in the morning you're eating a ham and cheese sandwich all of a sudden cougar out of nowhere jumps springs falls on your back you got to wrestle this damn thing kill him with a rock before he shreds you to death you know that's that's an ugly situation sometimes you're sitting there having your your ham and cheese sandwich out in the desert three o'clock in the morning Boom! Mountain goat attack. These things—they have diseases. They're frothing at the mouth. You're wrestling this mountain goat. You got to kill this fucking thing with a rock. It's much cleaner and nicer for everybody when you have a gun, and you can just—you uh, can take care of it in, a, in an easier way. 
actually do have some footage of mountain goats. We One of the places we went to was the uh, Zion National Park. Big, sweeping, striking cliffs and ridges and ranges and canyons and all that kind of stuff. It's a really beautiful place. National Park costs $35 to get in. But uh, it was really cool. Put on some John Williams music, you know, and rode around listening to this epic soundtrack. And do you know that in Utah, when it comes to guns, just you might find this interesting as a matter of trivia. In Utah, like here in, in Nevada and Arizona, they don't really care what you do with, with your guns. You know, this, it's, this is the Wild West. You may not realize that Reno, Nevada is actually farther west than Los Angeles, California. Okay, this is the west out here. And you need to be able to protect yourself. But in Utah, they have all these weird laws. Hmm, wonder why that is. I'll let you figure that out on your own. But one of the laws they have in Utah is if you have a gun and you don't have a special permit in Utah, then uh, you have got to make sure that you are at least two steps from being able to fire that weapon. So what that means is, for example, if you have a revolver, then the next chamber in the cylinder has to be empty. So that when you pick up the gun and you pull the trigger, nothing happens. You have to pull it a second time before it shoots. And you might say, okay, well, it's not that big of a deal. You just have to pull it twice. But what's the point of even wasting time on that kind of legislation? Would you make your cops do that too? Does the cop have to? Of course not. And the whole point of you being able to arm yourself when you're in that kind of a situation is because you have to be your own cop. So it's just like stupid stuff like that. We we, we left the uh, Zion National Park and there was this bar, real nice steakhouse and bar that was right outside the park. And we'd already had a big lunch and everything, but we were like, hey, you know, this, let's go into this place, chill out, have a beer, whatever. So we go into the place and said, yeah, we just like to sit at the bar and ha- have a drink. And uh, the guy says, he looked like he was probably a manager. He said, well, are you aware that in the state of Utah, you may not consume alcohol without also consuming food? I said, no, I was not aware of that. Never heard of such a thing. There was this guy who was standing next to me. He goes, yeah, I went to this bar next door, and you know, the, they wouldn't let me have a beer unless I ordered uh, some chips and salsa, at least. And I was like, okay, well, just never mind. Just forget this, you know. I mean, how dumb is that? What Realistically, what is that going to look like in practice? Okay, so what I mean by this is you sit down, you're like, give me uh, the beer. They're like, you got to have some chips. Okay, fine, give me some potato chips. I don't I don't want potato chips. Give me some potato chips. So then I'm sitting there. I got a chip in my, my left hand. Got the beer in the right hand. What what are they going to sit there and be like, no, uh, 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 wait, wait, no, sir, hey, mister, hey, you better eat that chip before you take that sip of that beer. But uh, no, eat the chip, eat the chip. Now take a sip. All right, now eat another chip. And do you think they're doing that? No. What's the point of making up these dumb laws like that when you know in practice it's not even really accomplishing any significant goal? That's why I like, you know, I mean, I, I, I can imagine people going in to Utah and saying, give me a beer and give me, uh, give me the roast. 
I'll take the roast. And they bring the roast out, and uh, they just drink the beer, and they're like, you know what? I don't like this roast. This tastes like crap. Take the roast back. I want my money. But, you know, I'm like, it's just... Here in, in, in Nevada, one of the things I like about this state is, I, I've told you before, you can do whatever you want as long as you behave yourself, right? If you act like an adult, they'll treat you like an adult. And so uh, I've traveled all over the country, and I marvel at how how just illogical and often unenforceable these stupid laws are that state legislators waste their time on. But that is not really the point of this particular podcast. And I don't, I don't have anything earth-shattering to share with you. Just giving you a little update here. You know, the podcast is called Joshua P. Warren Daily. I can talk about whatever I want. So Lauren and I were passing through this casino. Actually, well, I should say we were passing through a town on the border of Nevada and Arizona. And there was this casino there. And so we stopped and... Went inside, chilled out for a little while, and uh, they had a lot of the kind of older machines, and they had a sea monkey slot machine. You know, the sea monkeys. Everybody loves sea monkeys. If you don't love sea monkeys, there's something wrong with you. And I actually, um, because you know, slot machines have different themes. They license out characters and storylines and all. And so... I have seen a sea monkey slot machine before. They're not very common these days. I played the sea monkey slot machine before uh, for a little while, but I never got to see it hit a bonus. And that's what you're always looking for when you play these games. Uh, not just because when you hit a bonus, you make more money, but also, you know, it's like uh, it's a cool little cartoon or game or just like something special that happens and you get to see how creative the game designers have gotten with their bonuses. And so I, I, I wanted to see a sea monkey bonus. I said, Lauren, let's sit down, see if we can get a bonus on this here uh, sea monkey slot machine. And sure enough, we sat down and I got, I think, two bonuses. And, you know, they were okay. And they, they weren't as like amazing and creative as I was hoping. But we started talking about sea monkeys and how much that... Uh, I've always been interested in sea monkeys. And again, you know, I'm imagining that most people uh, grew up in a period of time when, you know, that was a fun thing you could access. You go to the store, go to a comic book, you know, you, you see some marketing there for sea monkeys. It was always kind of false advertising, of course, because they never looked in real life like they looked in the illustrations on the ads and packaging. You know, you, you'd have some knobby-headed guy, you know, sitting there on his throne with the... I mean, obviously, we we know that that's not exactly what it's going to look like, but still, the the real sea monkeys are kind of a far cry from the illustrations. They're really just little shrimp, you know. But anyway, I've always enjoyed sea monkeys. It's a nostalgic subject. As a matter of fact, when I was living in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, there was a lighthouse nearby called El Faro. And uh, they would have these big deposits of sand and salt. And I was told that you could go out there and you could scoop up some of this sand 
and put it in, in certain type of water at a certain type of temperature. And uh, if you got lucky, uh, you'd have basically sea monkeys would hatch. That there were brine shrimp eggs in this sand. And you know what? I just was so busy, I never got around to doing that. But anyway, I was telling Lauren, I said, you know, sea monkeys, what an interesting uh, product. That, you know, it's still out there. You know, you can still go and buy yourself sea monkeys. And I was telling Lauren, I've always been interested in, in marketing and that I had a little project in mind a few years ago to go to California and meet the man who invented the pet rock. And I just wanted to sit down with him and interview him about how this idea came to him and how he actually worked out his strategy to sell this thing. And I'm just really interested in in, in the idea of, of, of marketing unusual stuff, especially when it's kind of a joke like the pet rock and everybody's sort of in on the joke. That's even more interesting, isn't it? Than just selling something that's practical that obviously everybody's going to need or want. So we, uh, she was saying, you know, man, you should do a, you know, some kind of documentary or something about the sea monkey story. So I, you know, I thought, you know, I, I do need to at least look up the story behind sea monkeys and see what the hell I can find. So I sat down. I started researching sea monkeys, and guess what? Guess what? There is kind of a dark side to the sea monkey story. Now, I'm not going to dig too deep into the dark side, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, why does it always work out this way? You know, you find something that's all nice and warm and fuzzy and wholesome. and Anyway, here's the story of sea monkeys. Now, I organized this information in a certain way to help me tell you logically about sea monkeys. Now, of course, some of the things you need to know about sea monkeys, well, they're internationally famous. There was a CBS cartoon series in, I think, the early 90s about the sea monkeys. They've been featured on TV shows like South Park. Do you know that sea monkeys have been to the moon? Apollo 16 and Apollo 17 took sea monkey eggs to the moon and back. They were exposed to significant cosmic rays, and uh, the eggs hatched, but they were kind of deformed. They said their appendages and stuff didn't look quite right. However, in 1998, uh, as a matter of fact, on October 29th of 1998, astronaut John Glenn he took sea monkeys into space aboard the space shuttle Discovery. After nine days in space, they were returned to Earth. They uh, hatched, and they were unaffected by their travels. You know, it's funny. I recently was playing for you a recording of the voice of Harry Houdini, and I believe that I mentioned that that was, I'm pretty sure, uh, a recording that was made on October the 29th. Uh, and here, now I have this other story about John Glenn taking sea monkeys up on October the 29th. Just interesting. You know, and things like that especially happen close to um, to Halloween. All right, so what exactly are sea monkeys? Well, here's the, here's the story of how these things were developed. So 
On March 31st of 1926, there was this man born in Memphis, Tennessee, and his name was Harold Braunhut. That's spelled B-R-A-U-N-H-U-T, Harold Braunhut. He died in 2003 at the age of 77. But again, he was born in Memphis, Tennessee, 1926. His dad owned a toy company uh, called the T-Cone Toy Company. And so um, he grew up being exposed to this idea of... uh, of selling toys. I think I read somewhere that this guy may have actually uh, grown up primarily in New York. But anyway, he got involved with this idea of, you know, creating, marketing, selling toys. Um, actually, it was his grandfather, Tobias Cohn, was the head of the T-Cone Toy Company. Yeah. So anyway, he, he grew up in a family that, you know, was already working with that type of product line. And he was just, this guy, Harold Braunhut, was just fantastic at creating successful ideas for, you know, more or less kids' products. Um, He invented the X-ray specs because in, in the 50s, you know, the comic book stuff was starting to boom, 50s and 60s. And he realized that he could buy a lot of ads and comic books for fairly cheap. And so he started buying up ads for all these things. The x-ray specs were uh, a huge, huge hit. I mean, everybody has seen an ad for the x-ray specs, even if, even if you haven't used them. Uh, spoiler for you, they don't really allow you to see bones like the ad would lead you to believe. You know, in the ad, you have the guy, he's wearing the the glasses and he's holding up his hand and he and it, it looks like he can see the bones in his hand and then in the background you know there's a, a woman like going oh like she's shielding herself as if he may be seeing something he shouldn't be seeing um but it's just an optical illusion that's all it is and the optical illusion is created by taking something like a feather or something that's got some you know thin, thin fibers and putting them in front of the eye so that I don't know it creates this weird effect so it kind of looks like there's a skeleton in the middle of objects that you view. But that was a huge hit. Buy those for a buck. Uh, he invented uh, listen to this crazy crabs. That was just hermit crabs. He didn't invent crabs, but he invented a product called crazy crabs. He, he invented the amazing hair-raising monsters. That sounds cool, doesn't it? It's a card with a printed monster that would grow hair when water was added. It actually was uh, mineral crystals that would grow. Uh, he invented this mechanism that makes a baby doll close its eyes when you lay it down. You know what I'm talking about? You ever think about that? There was a time when that didn't exist, and then all of a sudden, the, it, one day, you, you could buy a baby doll, lay it down, its eyes would close. He invented that. 195 patents this guy had. He came up with a product called Invisible Goldfish. Imaginary fish that were guaranteed to remain permanently invisible. You'd get the goldfish bowl, and you'd get some food. And uh, you'd fill it with water, and people loved it. 
they bought it. He was involved in all kinds of different little endeavors. He actually managed a showman, apparently. Um, a guy who, his, his shtick was he would dive 40 feet into a kiddie pool that only had 12 inches of water in it. And that's actually true. Like, I mean, you, you can do that. Uh, there, there are videos of guys who, who have mastered that art. You can do it if you really know how to land the right way. So anyway, you see the kind of guy that Harold Braunhut was. At first, you're like, that sounds like my kind of guy. You know, I, I, how interesting is this? That This is a dude who would just sit around and come up with creative ideas for fun and funny products and then go out there and, and figure out, you know, like what he needs to do to market them effectively. And, and you know, again, these are, these are directed primarily toward, toward kids and people who have a good sense of humor. So I always admire that. It seems like the kind of thing that should bring a smile to your face. Well, in the 1950s, apparently, he met this marine biologist named Dr. Anthony D'Agostino and started talking to this guy about what it would take in order to basically have a powder that you could dump into water that would transform into a life form. And so they were talking, of course, about brine shrimp. But the marine biologist was saying, uh, well, you know, these things are, are pretty small. So he started working with this, this biologist, and they actually, believe it or not, created an artificial breed of brine shrimp. The actual name of the shrimp is um, Artemia. They created an artificial breed called Artemia NYOS by hybridizing different species. And these shrimp would live longer and grow bigger than ordinary brine shrimp. They undergo what's called cryptobiosis or anhydrobiosis, a condition of apparent lifelessness which allows them to survive the desiccation of temporary pools in which they live. So they have, there's something built into these shrimp that makes them especially durable. So if the water dries up or whatever, they can still, you know, they can still live. So anyway, um, they came up with this new type of brine shrimp they developed the proper mix of nutrients and chemicals that you could add to plain tap water to create the right habitat. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was so innovative that Braunhut even got a patent for the process of how to do this. It was granted to him on July 4th of 1972. But he had already been selling them for quite a while by then before his patent even came through. He called this instant life. Sold it for 49 cents. But eventually, he started looking at these little brine shrimp and how they had sort of a long tail. He thought it made them look kind of like monkeys with that tail. So he decided to call them sea monkeys. And uh, he hired a comic book illustrator named Joe Orlando to do the illustrations for the marketing ads. And Joe Orlando, he... He illustrated all kinds of stuff, like, for example, a lot of the cartoons in Mad Magazine. 
He was the one who came up with the famous image that you think of when you think of sea monkeys, of, you know, the king and the queen sitting there with, again, like the, the antennas and the, thr- and the, the, the scepter and the throne and their aquatic environment. And, you know, I, I always, I'm, I, I'm kind of an Aquaman-oriented dude. Like, I always love the whole idea of an underwater world. And so uh, Joe Orlando was the illustrator who captured that and just, man, made that that thing when he when he called these things sea monkeys and put joe orlando's illustrations that was it i mean instant phenomenon um braun hut said quote i think i bought something like 3.2 million pages of comic book advertising a year it worked beautifully end quote now if the story stopped right there that would be great wouldn't it that would just be like a nice, warm, fuzzy tale about the American dream. And about, you know, what you can, you know, the, the crazy ways you can get rich in this country, right? But, well, that's not the end of the story. Because, like I say, Ron Hutt, he had 195 patents. He was creating all kinds of stuff. And now look, all I can tell you at this point is what I am reading online, but I think it's pretty well established. Looking at the Wikipedia article, looking at other articles that have been written, looking at articles in the Washington Post and the Seattle Times. And, you know, I think everybody kind of agrees that what I'm about to tell you is is fairly accurate. So apparently he also started inventing some weapons and one of the things he invented was a weapon called the spring whip defense mechanism he marketed as the Kyoga Agent M5 this is a spring loaded rigid whip that telescopes out of its handle with the press of a button those are kind of common nowadays it's kind of like an extendable baton type of thing So, you know, you pull this thing out and you sling it and it locks into place. Those are actually illegal in some places where guns are not illegal, if you can believe that. But it was a a very effective little device. And he he marketed it by saying, you don't need a gun if you have this. And as a matter of fact, he got even in, in trouble. In 1979, he was passing through security at LaGuardia Airport. And uh, he had uh, an attache case with six of those in it, and uh, they arrested him on illegal weapons charges. He won a dismissal. Um, But anyway, people noticed that ads for this product that he had produced started showing up in white supremacist publications. And furthermore... Harold Braunhut had changed his name to Harold von Braunhut. Harold von Braunhut. Now, what's what's really interesting is that he actually had a Jewish background. But here he now is Harold von Braunhut. Ads are appearing in, again, these racist-type publications. And... um, 
you know, I, I'm looking at a lot of information here that's talking about specific things that he he was accused of doing, providing weapons for certain groups and whatnot. And um, I, I honestly, I don't want to get into all this. Like, you can get online, and you can if you if it's that interesting to you, you can get online and read about that kind of stuff yourself. Because I just hate I hate bringing up stuff like this when um, it's just stuff I've read on the internet, but. Apparently, he was interviewed with the uh, by the Seattle Times in 1988, and um, he made some derogatory comments about certain types of people and said, quote, you know what side I'm on. I don't make any bones about it, end quote. So, gosh, you know, it's like a lot of people who knew that. Well... They got disappointed about sea monkeys. But listen, don't hold it against the sea monkeys. Don't hold it against the sea monkeys. Even if all that is true. And, and, and he's, he's dead now. Everybody, you know, historians seem to agree that that is the kind of dude that he was. But don't hold it against the sea monkeys. You know, Henry Ford, he was very very anti-jew there's no doubt about that henry ford published a lot of material a lot of propaganda that was anti-jewish and uh, nonetheless we still drive a ford you know and you don't you just have to realize like in history every everybody made stupid you know, everybody had stupid judgments all throughout history. That's why we improve as as time goes on. That's why it's a shame that the founders of our country had slaves, you know. Um, so it's interesting, I guess, to think that even something as, as wholesome and as fun as sea monkeys does have kind of its, its dark side. I know the sea monkey business is still thriving. I'm sure it is. So there's no reason you shouldn't go out and buy yourself some sea monkeys and have fun and, and, and enjoy them. You know, as a matter of fact, Lauren and I have this device. I've talked about it before. It's called a biosphere. And it is a glass ball. And I, I think I ordered it off of Amazon. When you receive this thing, it has a self-contained um, ecology inside of it. It's got water. Just the right balance of, of water and air and plant life. And it's got little, basically, brine shrimp in it. Pretty much like sea monkeys. And the, the whole thing is so perfectly designed that they could potentially live maybe forever. I, you know, I, I'm sure that's probably not accurate, but a long, long, long time. And you don't have to do anything. You can't do anything, in, even if you want to. It's it's a it's the whole thing is sealed up, but it's 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 almost like a little earth in perfect balance. The, the, all you have to do is make sure that you keep the temperature right. You know, you don't want to give them too much sun or too little sun or whatever. You got to keep all the little you know variables right as far as that's concerned. Again, it's like Earth, isn't it? I don't care how much we have here. If it gets too hot or too cold, yeah, things are gonna die. And uh, I, I, we got this thing and I posted a picture of it. And what did I get? I got a nasty email from a woman who said, ah, 
you're so cruel. Think about, you know, what a terrible life these little shrimp have sitting in this uh, in this glass bowl. And, of course, uh, glass bowl. And, of course, I'm thinking, like, well, their life is better than the shrimp that I had at Red Lobster last night, I guess. I mean, you know, don't ever accuse me uh, of not being an animal lover, even though I was talking about having to beat, you know, mountain lions and goats to death. With I was, that was a joke, by the way. Okay. Um, don't ever accuse me of not being an animal lover just because I eat meat, for example. Um, I happen to think that plants are capable of feeling just as much as animals. That's just my opinion. And that actually comes from a lot of tests that I've done in my laboratory, tests that most people don't do. So if you are one of these people who says, I don't want to eat meat because I don't want to hurt animals, okay, fine, good for you. That's your opinion. But I think you're hurting plants when you eat them as well. So you got to eat something. Um, so I don't, I, don't, I don't feel guilty for having a, a little, you know, collection of, of shrimp there that, uh, well, they're not going to get eaten. They're going to live out a nice life, whatever, I guess, God intended for them inside of this glass bowl. I call I keep calling it a bowl. It's a ball. It's a glass ball. But anyway, that's I, I think stuff like that is probably inspired by the work that uh, Harold von Braunhut did with sea monkeys. So, however that story strikes you, it's a weird one, and now you know the story behind sea monkeys. So you now, next time you're sitting around at dinner and nobody has anything to talk about, you can be the most interesting person at the table and say, Hey, you like sea monkeys? Well, guess what? I know the story behind sea monkeys. Who wants to hear it? That is what you get from listening to this show. So anyway, that said, I think that uh, that's going to do it for this particular edition of the program. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, again, I'm in a, in a, in a weird, rocky uh, state right now as we're traveling around. But soon I will be back in more familiar territory with better access to Wi-Fi and cell signals and all that business. And I will give you an update on new experiments and other projects that are coming to fruition in the very near future. Uh, we have been selling tickets already to Darren Evans' Cosmic Invocation, a UFO summoning event, and only 12 people can get a ticket, however. So if you want to be one of those lucky 12, don't forget, go to CosmicInvocation.com, CosmicInvocation.com. If you go to my website, JoshuaPWarren.com, you will find a link there under the news section to the Cosmic Invocation event. So that'll make it easy for you. Also, when you're at joshuapwarren.com, be sure to click the link to this podcast. Little red box there on the homepage. Again, the podcast is called Joshua P. Warren Daily. Always short, always free, commercial free, uncensored, independent. When you click the link to the podcast, you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. 
and I will talk to you again soon.